Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. In the realm of Irish journalism, one name stands out as a beacon of truth, integrity and fearless reporting. Justin McCarthy, with a career that has spanned nearly four decades and an unrelenting dedication to her craft, Justine has become synonymous with quality journalism in this country. And her latest book is a collection of her columns over her long, long career. Justine McCarthy, I'm delighted to say, joins me to talk about her new book, which is called An Eye on Ireland. Good morning to Justine. Good morning, Patricia. And listen, it's a great pleasure to have you on uh, the programme and the book is absolutely wonderful. And what I, what I found when I was going back through it, I'm sitting in this seat doing this programme 33 years uh, now com- coming up next month. Um, and I realised, oh my God, I spoke about so many of those stories uh, over the years, but we, we have a tendency to forget. Um, and so it was just, it was a joy, an absolute joy uh, to read the book. And I think for the younger generation coming up, some of the stories are absolutely jaw-dropping. They won't believe that it could have happened in the 90s or the noughties. So um, I'm really encouraging everyone to read the book and we'll talk about some of the stories in it but I just want to mention that first. But you're one of our own, you're abandoned uh, lass. And and one thing I didn't realise until I read the book, you you were quite a a timid uh, child. It was the loss of your dad, age four. That really had a profound effect, didn't it? Yeah, you know, when you're that age, you don't realise um, how deeply affected you are by you know the, the sudden death of a, a parent. And for a long time, when I was a schoolgirl, um, you know, even into my teens, and other, you know, friends of mine would sort of say how sorry they were for me that I didn't have a father. And I'd say, but sure, I'm fine because I don't really remember him, but your father will die and you'll know him and, you know, you'll love him and that'll be really hard for you. So it's only in later years that I've realised that that was all part of the denial, really. It, it did have a massive effect on my life and on the life of my family, my mother and my sisters. 
Yeah, and I can I can go snap because I was three when my dad died, and oh, we, God, we and, and and my mum was left with uh, five of us under the age of uh, eight. And I oh, I I, I always believed the same thing that I didn't I didn't know the man. I very little recollection of him. And it was only when I went through we I did an, an international uh, adoption a number of years ago, and of course the process you have to go through for that, and they really scrutinise your childhood. And it was only then I realised, wow, yeah, it did have a major impact. But you. You, and, and of course, it was an era as well where you didn't go to the funeral. You, it was all hidden from you. Exactly, Patricia. I had a very um, memorable experience in Bandon. Actually, it was during a general election campaign. It was a long time ago because I was following Charlie Hawhey around Cork on the day, and there was a, a press bus. But I filed my copy from the Munster Arms Hotel in Bandon and I missed the bus. So I got a taxi from Bandon back up to Cork City. And the taxi driver was, he was a lovely man. He was only a couple of years older than me. And I remember feeling so envious of him because he told me that he remembered when my father died and that his parents had brought him to the funeral. So he was telling me about my father's funeral that I had never been at. and My sisters hadn't been there. And, you know, I do understand why my, you know, the people looking after us, uh, looking after my mother as well, would have made the decision that we wouldn't go because, you know, it was too traumatic. But I, I regret very much that yeah, I Yeah, and it was, it was the era. It was what happened with, it, with, it, with, uh, yeah. with, with everyone. And, and just remind people where your band in connection and because there'll be a lot of people uh, listening who'll, who'll remember your mum and dad. Okay. My father's name was Billy McCarthy and he inherited the family business from his father, Jerome McCarthy, it was at 77 South Main Street, Bandon, and it was a typical kind of country town uh, business that they had a pub and undertakers, auctioneers, taxis, and they made coffins out of the back. Um, they were at a furniture store um, called the West End um, in the town. Um, and the, oh yeah, my dad had uh, an auctioneer's office in the Mall in Cork as well. <laughs> <laughs> he was an ent- he was a bit of an entrepreneur, wasn't he? he was. at, at his time. Yeah. And, and your mother was a mighty woman, and really is the reason that you ended up in journalism. She had to do a bit of an intervention on your behalf. She did. She was an amazing woman. My mother's name was Bridie McGrath. She was from Kerry too. And um, when my dad died, she was 39 and she had uh, us four daughters aged from 10 down to a year old. So when I went for the uh, place in Rathmines College of Commerce, which was the only place where you could do journalism in those days, I failed the entrance interview. And when I got the letter from the college telling me the rejection letter, I was absolutely devastated and I spent days and nights crying my eyes out and eventually my mother got out the Dublin telephone directory and she found the phone number for the director of the course in Dublin, a man called Sean Egan, who was a bit of a a celebrity at the time. He used to present a religious um, programme on RTE on Sunday nights and she rang him at home and she just begged him 
to give me a chance and she told him she was a widow with four children and that my life was over and um, it was the only thing I wanted to do so he relented and he added me to the course and I will be forever grateful to her for that. Yeah, yeah and here you are all those years later with a very successful career behind you. The other thing that I didn't know about you until I I read the book you've had a, a great fear of flying but even in the opening chapter like you list all the countries that you went to that you reported from. Were you panicky on every single flight? Um, it, it was a fear that sort of increased with every flight. Um, it started out just as a sort of kind of general uh, fear, but it became much more specific. Like the minute the doors of the plane would close, I would start panicking. Um, and it got worse and worse, so that I actually stopped flying eventually. And the only reason that I had to go back flying was my son's sports club. When he was 12, they were going to Spain and one guardian had to go with each child. And my husband had just had back surgery, so he couldn't travel. Uh, so I went to what's called an LPT, uh, uh, sorry, a linguistic practitioner, or what do you call them? L- LPT, I think yeah. it is. And um, I paid him something astronomical, like £300 in his plush penthouse. <laughs> and uh, I came out and I made an appointment straight away to go to the GP for a prescription for Xanax. <laughs> that was how I got on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> but then one of the most amazing stories about a flight was you were sent to America to interview uh, Annie Murphy. Now, that was following the bombshell news. And we'll all remember that. Well, those of a certain age remember that waking up that morning to hear about Bishop Eamon Casey and what had happened. That turned into quite an interesting flight. It did. Um, I it, it, the, the very day that the Irish Times broke this uh, world exclusive story, um, I was sent off to America with the um, intention of interviewing Annie Murphy the next day in Connecticut. So I went out to the Dublin airport, got on the plane, and the plane stopped over in Shannon, as it was obliged to do, and all the passengers got off, and we went into duty-free got back on the plane, halfway across the Atlantic, I was watching this tearjerker of a movie, uh, the in-flight movie. It was Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe. Brilliant movie. Brilliant Brilliant movie. movie. And uh, tears running down my face when I heard an in-flight announcement with Justine McCarthy of the Irish Independent make herself known to a member of the cabin crew. So I pressed the call button and an air hostess came down and she said a message has come into the cockpit from your office to tell you your interviewee is on board. So I knew my interviewee, Annie Murphy, was in Connecticut because I was meeting her there the next day. And I thought, well, it must be Bishop Casey. Um, And, of course, the whole story was that Bishop Casey had fathered a child when he was the Bishop of Kerry and he was leaving the country uh, very suddenly. So there was a group of Cork doctors, lovely people, sitting beside me. They were on their way to a medical conference in San Francisco. One of them said to me, what was that about? And I said, I think Bishop Casey is on this plane and I have to go and look for him. So they said, well, we'll help you. (laughs) So we all trooped up and down the plane.
plane scrutinizing every passenger's face and we couldn't find him. And it was one of those two-story planes. And I went to go upstairs and two cabin crew members stopped me and said that I only had an economy ticket, so I couldn't go up. And I said, okay, but can you just tell me, is Bishop Casey up there? And they both looked me in the eyes and said, no, he's not. So the plane landed at Kennedy Airport, and um, there was a number of American journalists waiting. They'd been tipped off that the, not only was the bishop on the plane, but there was an Irish journalist with very curly hair gorgeous <laughs> seen on the plane. <laughs> so they started calling me, where is he, where is he? And I said, no, he wasn't on the flight at all. He was. He was, um, as history records. And eight, about 18 months later, he actually did an interview with the Sunday Tribune after he'd gone to Chile. And he told the Sunday Tribune that he had been, quote, chased across the Atlantic. I remember that. I remember. And that yeah, was, by an and Irish journalist. And that was you. <laughs> yes, and that he had successfully eluded her. Oh, my goodness. And then you went on to... What, what did you make of Annie Murphy when you met Annie Murphy? I thought she was admirable. Um, she was She was very hospitable in the first place. Uh, she had a kind of an open house that day. There were a lot of American camera crews coming and going. Um, and she had all the time in the world to talk to me. And her son Peter was there and her partner, Arthur. And I found her, I thought she was a very attractive person, both, you know, in appearance and personality. Um, a little bit, well, more than a little bit, she had. She was romantic, I mm. think, and um, her whole relationship was still tinged with the sort of, I suppose, Georgette Hare kind of romance. The way she talked about him, I found her truthful, and I thought her son was a very nice young man at that stage. And a credit to her. Yeah, yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah. And I remember seeing her on the Late Late and I, I just had huge, huge sympathies. She just she came across as somebody who, a very naive woman who just unfortunately fell in love with the wrong man. Uh, and Patricia, do you remember what Gay Burns said to her? Uh, if, well, I, I, if, I, if your son turns out to be, be half, half the man. man his father is, he would have done well. And I also remember Gay Byrne on the radio saying that when he was driving into work that morning and he heard on the, you know, obviously on Morning Ireland when they were doing the newspaper review and he heard about the story and his comment was, I thought to myself, oh, poor Eamon, he's after getting caught out. And I remember thinking, <laughs> Anyway, anyway, uh, the bravest, strongest person you ever met, the young woman, Justine, at the centre of the Kilkenny incest uh, case. Firstly, you have an amazing story of how you found her. Yeah, it was pure luck. Um, the day her father was sentenced to seven years in jail for abusing her from uh, sexually and uh, physically. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. 
With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. And mentally abusing her from when she was aged 10. Um, the news of the sentencing uh, came into the Irish Independent office and a photographer and I were told to go and find her. Now, the only information we had was that she lived in County Kilkenny. We didn't even know her name. So the two of us set off and it was a dark winter's night and we literally drove from village to village asking for her and we couldn't find her. And eventually we pulled up in this place outside a chip shop. Um, we were getting hungry and I said to the photographer, I'd go in and get us some chips. So when the girl behind the counter was getting the chips, I said, you wouldn't happen to know the um, young woman involved in that case today in the, the courts. And she said, why do you want to know? And I said, I'm a journalist and I'm hoping that she will do an interview with me. And the girl said, stay there. And she disappeared. And she came back after a while and she said, come with me. And she brought me to this really grimy looking building right up to the top floor of it. I think it was three stories. And in this room under the rafters, there was the girl. And she invited me in. And there was a kind of a bundle on the bed of what looked like coats. And um, it moved and I realised it was her son lying under her coat. He was seven. And she told me that that day her son had discovered that his grandfather was his father. And I stayed with her for a while and she was very composed considering the horrendous day she'd just put down in court and it was the days before technology, so I went to a nearby pub and I phoned in the story. And then a, a stand-in editor came on the phone and told me to go back to the girl and offer her a specific sum of money, which I don't remember, um, in return for her doing an on-the-record interview and um, being named and photographed with her child. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that that will ruin both their lives. And this man said to me on the phone, this is not a request, I'm ordering you to do it. So I went back to the girl upstairs to the room under the rafters and I said, I have been ordered to make you this offer. And I said, I've now made the offer and I'm advising you don't do it because you and your child will be forever associated with this. And... Patricia, my heart sank. She said, I'm going to do the interview. Come back in the morning. But she said, I'm not taking any money. My son and I will not be named and will not be photographed. So I went back the next morning and spent a couple of hours with her. And she told, talked so um, articulately and with such amazing memory, detailed memory about the many times her father raped her, beat her, 
many times she tried to run away and was found and brought back to the house. The numerous times she had gone to hospital with bruises and cuts. When she was 15, giving birth to a child in the hospital and how she had tried to confide in a social worker who told her that was a family matter. I mean, absolutely horrendous. That this was all recorded and nothing had been done. She was an extraordinary woman. Do you you know what happened to her and her life and the life of her son since? I don't know. And I've never tried to find out. And her name is still fresh in my head and I have never told anybody her name. But I do wonder all the time, well, not all the time, from time to time, what happened and is she having a good life and is her son having a good life? And I just hope that they both are because yeah. they certainly deserve it. Yeah, yeah. And the... the, the and, and well done to you for, for advising her not to do it because particularly the, the offer of the money, you're thinking, you know, she was impoverished. She could have done with the yeah. money and, and fair juice to her uh, mm-hmm. for not taking it as well. The, I have to say the Kelly Fitzgerald uh, chapter is is a very, very uh, tough uh, read and again was one of those stories that I had uh, forgotten about. Are those stories hard to write? Um. They're hard to listen to when somebody is opening up their heart to you and telling you really horrendous details of things that were done to them and how they have suffered. And you can see the grief and the pain in their face. It's actually very hard to hold it together. And I'm sure you must have had that experience yourself. Um, And the last thing that you should do is break down yourself. Oh, Justine, I do but, it all the time. I'm, I'm, I find as I'm getting older, I'm really bad. I'm really bad. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I know, I know the point. <laughs> but it's, but I, I think for, for certainly on the the stories that you've relayed in in your book, at times it, I I felt it was almost cathartic for them to tell their story. Did they get some healing from it? Almost. I think so because, in my experience of meeting people who have been through all that trauma. Um, especially people who have been abused, what they want more than anything else is to be believed. They They don't set out looking for money. They don't set out looking to go to the courts. They just want their story to be heard and to be believed. So I think that that does help them. And I, I know it does, has helped people. But to me, it's the courage that they have shown in telling their stories that has made such a huge difference to our country and has changed this country and has forced, you know, uh, legal reforms and a whole kind of opening up of our minds and a greater tolerance in our society. Yeah, you, you know, you look back at this book, there was times when this wasn't a great country for, for children to grow up in, uh, for sure. And yeah. of course, yours, like so many other families, an unplanned pregnancy uh, arrived on, on your door and it was your your much-loved uh, sister, uh, Bernice. It's a powerful story that you tell, because particularly how it ends. Yeah, um, Bernice was the eldest of the four of us and she was, absolutely beautiful and wild and charismatic 
And um, in 1974, she got pregnant and she wasn't married. And anybody who was around in 1974 would know that that was probably the worst thing that could happen to a female because of the uh, social stigma attached to it. And Burr and the father of the child actually went to England to sit out the pregnancy. And while they were there, Burr got friendly with this woman and made a private arrangement for the woman to adopt the child when he would be born. But when he was born, she couldn't bear to part with him. And she brought him back to Bandon. Um, but only lasted, I think, 10 days before realising that she was not going to be able to bring him up in that environment. And she contacted the woman in England uh, who came over to Bandon and took the baby back. And my mother always had a photograph of the baby in her purse. Um, And we all saw it in the purse. But, you know, we didn't talk much about him. And um, shortly afterwards, the rest of us were in boarding school with the Ursulines and Black Rock. And my mum came up uh, on a visit one Sunday and told us that Burr had gone to live in South Africa. Now, Patricia, to me, Africa was, was, in my mind, at that age, a jungle full of lions and tigers. And I was just terrified for it. But anyway, uh, roll on many years in 2011. I was on a bus going into work and I was going through my emails and there was an email starting. Forgive me if you're not the person I think you are, but I think your sister is my mother. And it was him. It was the baby. Um, now an adult man. And um, I emailed him back and we arranged to have a, a telephone call with my other two sisters and him, his name is Duncan, the following Sunday. And it was it was bittersweet. He sounded absolutely lovely, and he told us he'd had a lovely childhood with lots of siblings and good parents. And then we had to tell him that Burr was dead. He was too late. Um, she had died just four days after her 51st birthday. Mm. And... Um, we arranged for him to come over to Dublin and he was going to come the following weekend and then my sister Adrian and I drove immediately to the nursing home where our mother had been living for five years. Uh, she was in the very late stage of Alzheimer's disease and she hadn't spoken or walked for two years. So we sat on either side of her wheelchair and told her mum we've met we've met him and he sounds happy and he's had a good life and you know he sounds really well brought up and lovely and then Adrian said isn't that great and our mother who hasn't spoken for two years took a really big breath and said it is and she was admitted to hospital the following Thursday She, she choked on a piece of food and um, she she started dying that day, but Duncan still came over the following Sunday, 
and we had lunch. I, I actually went to the airport to meet him, and it was August, and the airport was absolutely thronged. Um, we were texting each other. He was saying, you know, we've landed. I'm in uh, baggage reclaim. And I'm saying, I'm in the arrivals. It's packed. I won't find you in the next minute. I heard a voice, <laughs> lovely English voice behind me saying, Justine, I turned around. And there he was. And I looked straight into Bernice's eyes. Oh. Yeah. And you're still obviously very much in contact. We're still in contact. Great. And he has met his uh, birth father as well, which is. And all, and, all, really and all the cousins. And all the cousins. All of the cousins. cousins. My cousin uh, Johnny McCarthy and his wife, Jer, had a big party in their house. For brilliant. Him. He came over with his partner and his children and his adoptive mother and her party, her partner. And all my relations came with gifts of uh, Cork GAA shirts and Munster <laughs> rugby shirts and Cork crystal. And That's we fantastic. all raised a glass it was, it was, it was, yeah. It's such a powerful, powerful story. Michael from Castletown Bear says, Justin McCarthy is one of Ireland's outstanding journalists and broadcasters. I was so delighted that she gave another leading journalist and broadcaster, Vincent Brown, the honour of launching her book, Perfect Choice. I wish her well, says uh, Michael, and I'm looking forward to reading the book and Anya from Tip says uh, Patricia and Justine will you congratulate Justine on a wonderful talented book she struck a chord when I heard her on another radio show recently I don't buy books but actually went out and bought hers yesterday best of luck to her uh, and I wish her nothing but happiness into the future kind regards that's from Anya and by the way I'm way over on time John Paul's (laughs) going to kill me you're in band you're in band of books tomorrow book signing What, what time is that? It's lunchtime. Lunchtime. One o'clock. One o'clock. Okay, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Book is fantastic. Best of luck with it. And thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us today. It's been my pleasure, Patricia. Good good morning. Bye bye. Court today on C103. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.